We all go through times in our lives where we're broken, perhaps on the heels of sin. Pastor Ed Ray shares these encouraging thoughts. Peter is crushed. He's broken. But our God uses broken and crushed people. In fact, it's a crushed olive in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what Gethsemane means, crushed olives. It's a crushed olive that produces the oil. It's a crushed grape that produces wine. It's crushed grain that is ground into flour, that makes bread, that sustains other people. You will fail, I will fail, but we will never be a failure. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. We all know that Peter observed many of the miracles that Jesus performed during his ministry. And yet, when push came to shove, Peter denied that he even knew him. You know, it's not an uncommon occurrence today. So we'll take the time to examine the steps that led up to it and learn from these mistakes. But we'll also be reminded that God is willing to forgive and restore us after we blow it, just as he did for Peter. Here with a look at the road to denial on Growing Grace is Pastor Ed Ray in John chapter 18. Pastor Ed starts today's study sharing some of his favorite archeological finds that prove the Bible is true. Number three, Dead Sea Scrolls, 1947, 1946. In the winter, a little Bedouin boy throws a rock into a cave. He hears pottery break. He went, uh-oh, I broke something. Told his dad, and his dad went down and looked. And he found some scrolls, some parchments, and some vellums, animal skeins, as well as parchment from Egypt. And they brought them out. And they saw some more. And they went in other caves and they found more and more and more until the entire Bible from the Essenes, a group of like a monastery on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and it's radiocarbon dated to 200 BC before Christ. And people said, well, you know, the Bible was written in the Dark Ages, in the Middle Ages. Uh uh. <laughs> We're so wrong. 200 years before Jesus, so it's only the Old Testament, but it's every book in the Old Testament. That is Isaiah. Well, is that accurate, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Every single word in 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah is the same that you have on your lap. Does the Holy Spirit preserve the books of the Bible? Completely. My fourth favorite is a stone that was found at Caesarea. You, if your eyesight's good, you can probably read Prefect of Pilate. That's called the Pontius Pilate stone because it's solid granite. Somebody chiseled out his name, Pontius Pilate. Prefect, the word for governor, of Judea. Why is that important? Because up until 1960, all the theologians and the archaeologists were saying, oh, you can't trust the New Testament. It's, it's really unreliable. Even this guy, Pilate, nobody's ever seen anything written about him. 
God said, how about in stone? 1960, American archaeologist, his spade hits that, he brushes it off, and there it is looking at him. Pontius Pilate, fifth favorite one. This is a little weird, but this is a heel, a human heel with a spike through it. A 20-year-old that, again, they were digging, putting it in a new roadway in Israel, just outside the city wall of Jerusalem. The roof caves in, they send the archaeologists down, and they find the sarcophagus of a 20-year-old man from the first century, same time as Jesus, who was crucified. That's a metal spike sticking out of a heel bone, and the end of it is bent over. So they evidently used a piece of wood, kind of like a wooden gasket, put a spike through it, and nailed it through the heel of the person being crucified into the cross, and then the same way, at least this guy. We don't know if Jesus was crucified that way, but what we do know now is in the first century, again, historians and theologians said nobody was crucified until the fourth century by the Persians. Uh Uh-oh, here's one from the first century with a spike through his right heel. Discovered in 1968 in Jerusalem. You see a pattern here? In these last days, God is exposing these things. Kefhanon, silver amulet, number six. 1979, get this, a group of junior hires, 15-year-olds were digging in an archaeological dig with permission with their teacher from a local junior high. And they dig up this little silver amulet. And on it is the book of Numbers 624, which is called the Shema of Israel because of the first words of it. Shema Israel, Akkad Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Now, Jewish families, if any of you were raised in a Jewish family, you probably had one of these in the mezuzah on the side of your door. And when Jews walk into their house, they touch it and say a short prayer and go in. This one is important because it's from 600 B.C., before Christ. Not just before Jesus, but before the Exodus And historians and theologians were saying the book of Numbers was written in Babylon after 600. Uh Uh-uh. Here's one found in Jerusalem with the book of Numbers quoted in it from before the exile. Okay. House of David inscription stone number seven. 1994, they're digging up a wall and a rock falls off and the backside of it has in the bottom right-hand corner there the house of David, King David, and it goes on to describe it. Well, why is that important? Because that was in 1994 when they found it. And nobody in 1994 was believing that David really was a king, except people that believed the Bible. And now all of a sudden, there it is written in stone. You see a pattern? Discovered. Last one, this is my favorite one. This is from last year. This is from March of 2022. The center of that is a large altar, and that is on Mount Ebal. Those of you familiar with the Old Testament, that's called Joshua's Altar because in the 14th century, 1400 BC, when the Jews came into the land, he sent a group of people up onto the far mountain, Gerizim, And he stayed on this mountain, Ebal, 
And he sacrificed to God, and they made a promise that they would follow the Lord. Well, they found there the oldest copy. There's the little, it's lead, made out of lead. And inside of it, that's both front and back, but then the bottom picture, as you can see, it's cracked a little bit. They used a laser to read the inside of it. It has an inscription written in it, and the lead turns out to be from Greece. How did it get there? Well, there was a boat that crashed onto the rocks on the coast of Israel, and they checked with metallurgy with a laser again and found that piece of lead matched the ballast in the ship, which came from Greece. 1400 BC, they already had lead, and it has this letter in it. You see the, looks like a little stick man in the center? That's Proto-Hebraic. That's the earliest written Hebrew language we've ever found. And that is the sign for Yahweh, for I am. We've been studying it through the Gospel of John, and that's come up several times. Seven times Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the way. What he was saying was that word, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. I am God, is what he's saying. There are my favorites. Let me just say that there will never be enough scientific evidence this side of heaven, because everybody in heaven already believes the Bible, but there won't be enough scientific evidence to convince a hardcore skeptic. I know I was one until I was 26. I was an atheist and a scientist. But the Holy Spirit in our generation is making it harder and harder for an honest inquirer to ignore this mounting physical evidence and more and more difficult to remain an honest skeptic. What am I saying? You almost have to be dishonest to not believe the Bible is exactly what it says it is, a word from God about the history of the world. So, that's our little magic carpet ride. Now back to our scriptures in John chapter 18. Did that encourage your faith? That was the point, that you would leave this going, hmm, there's a lot of proof. Maybe I should read this book. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus. Dr. Luke in his gospel says, at a distance, he's hanging way back. And so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. It turns out that John, the writer of the gospel, we're studying together this morning, was from a priestly family. He was a Levite. And that's based upon early church historian called Eusebius in about 150 AD, only about 50 years after John died, he wrote this. John was both a witness and a rabbi and a teacher who reclined upon the bosom of Jesus, the one who put his head on Jesus' chest, you'll remember, at the Last Supper who reclined upon the bosom of the Lord and being a priest wore the sacerdotal plate, he fell asleep at Ephesus. He died at Ephesus where he wrote this gospel and he wore the plate that says holiness to the Lord that only a Levite could, could wear. So John is known, the high priest knows his family and so he gets to come in to the patio and Peter's outside, verse 16. 
stood at the door outside. And then the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door. A girl, a little girl, we're told in the next verse, a servant girl, and brought Peter in. So they both come back into the courtyard. Jesus is up being interrogated by the high priest or the ex, the retired high priest. And then verse 17, the servant girl at the door who kept the door says to Peter, you are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? Now, the way the girl is asking the question, she was expecting a negative answer. You're not really one of his disciples. She's making it easy for Peter to say no. Too easy. And Peter says, I am not. Now, if you were with us when we went through Jesus saying, I am, the Greek two words are ego, emi, or ego, emi. Peter says, emi, u, I am not. Very strong. He denies it very strongly. Now, Peter is a man who is not afraid so that when he went to the garden with Jesus, he carried a sword. He was ready to cut off the head of the high priest's servant and said he just got his ear. Not a great swordsman, but his heart was to take care of Jesus. But it was a little girl that made him fold like a cheap lawn chair. Why? Well, see, we think we're going to be tempted to deny Jesus by a 300-pound bully with a knife at our throat. Just say you don't love God. But that's not the way it comes. It often comes with people you don't expect. And it starts with me, with a group of people, and not saying anything about being a Christian when they're running down another believer or when there's an opportunity to share. Let it be a warning to all of us. It wasn't a big bully that took down Peter. It was a little girl. He said, aren't you one of this man's disciples? Peter was a disciple of Jesus, no question. He was surrendered. Jesus was Lord. I am not. Am not. Direct translation. Similar Greek words used, I'm sure it wasn't by accident that John recorded it that way. We're looking at Peter's denial of the Lord today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. And again, we're in John 18. Verse 18. And the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold. Uh, one group we took to Jerusalem in the winter is the last one we ever went in the winter, but it actually snowed in Jerusalem. It's about 3,000 feet. So it's unusual, but it was cold this night too. So they built a fire, and they're standing there. The guards, the officers, the soldiers, and Peter stood with them, it says, and warmed himself. So now John switches over to the other side of the patio where the high priest is talking to Jesus, verse 19. And the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Now, he's concerning his teaching. He's more interested in knowing what Jesus said. He's trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself, to say something against the temple or the law or something. 
Jesus responds kind of strangely unless you understand the Hebrew law. I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogue in the temple where the Jews met. And in secret, I have said nothing. So I taught all, all over. I was just on the temple mount for the last week. You guys were there. Why are you asking me these questions? Why are you trying to make me incriminate myself? You see, Jewish law is where our constitution got the Fifth Amendment. In a court of law, if they ask you a question, and you've heard this on movies and everything, they say, well, I refuse to answer. I plead my Fifth Amendment rights, the right to not incriminate myself. That came from Jewish law. We brought it into the United States from Israel. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to him, you can't make me incriminate myself. Ask everybody else what I said. And what he was saying is, you guys were there. You saw me. Verse 21, why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. Now, one of the earliest writers of the Talmud, a Maimonides, probably the most famous Jewish rabbi, wrote this. Our true law does not inflict the penalty of death upon the sinner by his own confession. So Jesus is confronting Annas with the fact he was breaking the law. That's what Jesus is saying to him. So it was an illegal question. It was done at night, which is against the law to have a court hearing at night. And it was during Passover week, which the law forbade that nobody could be tried during Passover week. So Jesus is saying, you don't have any right to be questioning me. And in fact, you're breaking the law, almighty high priest. He didn't have to say that. So when he had said these things, verse 22, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. Now, the Greek word could be the front or the back of the hand. We would say today, he backhanded Jesus. And I say to you, all of heaven held their breath. And every angel pulled out his sword. Because Jesus had said to Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that I could call down legions of angels? A legion was 6,000 Roman troops. Legions of angels, myriads of angels were standing at attention, waiting for him to say, get him, <laughs> or whatever God would say. Okay, go ahead, guys. He didn't. Jesus did answer him, though, and he said, if I spoke evil, if I've lied, if what I said wasn't true, bear witness, testify. What did I say that wasn't true? But if, well, if I spoke the truth, why would you strike me? No. I hope this guy became a Christian, or otherwise he will spend eternity going, I slapped the creator of the universe. I don't know if they wear t-shirts in heaven, but he would have a t-shirt that says, I hit Jesus, I'm the guy. It's a joke, okay? <laughs> Nobody wears t-shirts in heaven that I know of anyway. Don't know any scriptures about it. So this guy has to think about that for eternity though. Then Annas sent him away, Jesus, and bound him to Caiaphas, the guy in the bone box. We were just looking at his box, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter stood and warmed himself with these, all these temple guards. And therefore they said to him, 
you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And again he said, Ime u am not. So standing in the crowd of soldiers, someone again asks him, big pressure here. Peter's under a lot of pressure. But Jesus had warned him. One of the servants of the high priest, and this one's awkward, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off. The guy who Peter had done surgery on. <laughs> Did I not see you in the garden with him? Hold this sword a minute. Let me look. You know, yeah, you're the guy. Little girl, front door, middle of its enemies, soldiers, and now a relative of the high priest. And he folds completely. Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster. Now, when Luke read about this same event at that moment, he said, the Lord turned, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Didn't say anything, just looked at him. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had said before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In Mark's gospel, Mark 14, 72, he adds, and Peter thought about it and wept bitterly. So Peter is crushed, he's broken, but our God uses broken and crushed people. In fact, it's a crushed olive in the garden of Gethsemane. That's what Gethsemane means, crushed olives. It's crushed olive that produces the oil. It's a crushed grape that produces wine. It's crushed grain that is ground into flour that makes bread that sustains other people. You will fail, I will fail, but we will never be a failure as long as we remember what Peter is going to do when we get to chapter 21. Standing by another fire, standing with Jesus, Jesus will look across at Peter and say, Petros, do you love me? Three times Jesus asked Peter because three times he denied him. If you're faithful to confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Peter is broken, but the Bible is filled with broken people. How about Noah? He's been on the ark. He comes out and gets drunk. Abraham takes his wife down to a foreign country, and the king asks him, hey, how about that babe? And he says, oh, she's my sister. Really? Really, Abraham? Twice he does it. Jacob one of the foundation leaders of Israel. His name means deceiver. Moses was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian. Saul of Tarsus murdered new Christians. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a murderer and an adulterer. And here's Peter. Now conviction is painful. The Holy Spirit showing me something that I did or said wrong, but it's also a wonderful gift. It's the pathway, it's the way back to God. If we're faithful to confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. Repentance, forgiveness, cleansing. That's God's pathway to getting back on track after we sin. 
This is Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is leading a study from John chapter 18. For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow and Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about. It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Say let this world know me by your 